Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello, everyone, and welcome to you all, TGIF. It is Friday, May 12, 2023. You are listening to The Andrew Lawton Show, or you're watching The Andrew Lawton Show, or you are just in ingesting via osmosis The Andrew Lawton Show. I don't recommend it, but we are an equal opportunity broadcast platform. You have to get all the angles covered with C11. Uh, this is going to be a lead into the weekend, so we will try not to depress you too, too much, uh, but some Sometimes talking about Canadian politics can have that effect. I don't proclaim to be right on everything. I proclaim to be right on most things. If I didn't believe it or at least think I was right, I wouldn't say it. But I have to do a bit of a mea culpa on a discussion I had on Wednesday's show about the passport page designs that were unveiled, I think, on Wednesday by the Canadian government. Now, I should say, first off, the fact that the images are crap, I don't apologize for. That I stand by. But as I was flipping through them on air and watching, I, I can't actually show you. I, I was telling you all on uh, Wednesday that I got a new little monitor. Uh, so in front of me, I can see things that's happening. The monitor is, is like this big. So and it's, you know, about two and a half feet away. So the reason I share that with you is that I was trying to just riff on what was in these images uh, with with not a very significant uh, view of what was actually on them. So uh, I had one person, uh, Susan Hamilton 1822 on Twitter, tell me I may need glasses. Uh, see, I can't even read what Susan Hamilton's writing there. She says it's a polar bear and an Inuit fishing through the ice, Andrew. You may need glasses. So uh, the context of this is that I was trying to discern what the images were on the passport. And we were on specifically page 36 and page 37, which if we can pull that up is on the right side, pretty self-explanatory. It's the polar bear in the Arctic. And on the left side, I don't know why, but I saw a penguin. And I realized that penguins don't live in the Arctic. They live in Antarctica, which is, as the name suggests, the opposite of the Arctic. Uh, and I sort of just saw like the top of the head was a little pointy, kind of like a beak. And then the, the thing that sort of looked like a lady bug shell coming out the back I thought was maybe just the the feathers the rear feathers um, and then the boots I don't have an answer for uh, except to say that maybe penguins feet get cold as well um, and the, the fish you know underneath it so anyway uh, so it seems abundantly obvious after the fact that that was an Inuit person ice, ice, ice fishing uh, but at the time, when I was just sort of like making it up as I went, it was a uh, a penguin in a very anachronistic setting that uh, was, for some reason, not being consumed by the polar bear. Now, e even so, I still... Put that back up there, Sean. I'm still kind of skeptical about why the Inuit person is ignoring the polar bear behind them. Like, that strikes me as a tactical error if you are going to be in the Arctic looking for food, to be like, oh, let's just find this little salmon here. I'm going after the Arctic char while the giant polar bear is behind me. But, um, you know, maybe they're one with nature and I'm not. I mean, what do I know? I thought that was a penguin and not a kind uh, Inuit person. Uh, in any case, I uh, want to talk a little bit here 
about some far more substantive matters. Yesterday in Ottawa was the March for Life. Uh, by all accounts, about six, 7,000 people from across the country, pro-life advocates, descending on Parliament Hill to say that we stand for life. Now, historically, the March for Life has been about uh, supporting life in the wake of abortion policies in Canada. But it's also about euthanasia and assisted suicide, which, as we've seen in the last couple of years in particular, are areas where the government has promoted and promulgated a culture of death. And I, I think in, in this way, the pro-life movement has a lot more momentum now than it has in some of these other iterations of it. But the liberals get very antsy whenever anyone's discussing abortion, when anyone's discussing life issues. They, uh, you know, there was no real political context uh, for the Liberals to be talking about abortion this week. Uh, the March for Life was out there as it always has been, but instead the Liberals were firing on all cylinders, tweeting, putting out statements, commenting on things, and then releasing this little video. I'm pro-choice because it saves lives. I'm pro-choice because I don't believe a man or anyone has the right to tell a woman what she should do with her body. I'm pro-choice because abortion bans endangers women's lives. I'm pro-choice because reproductive health is health. Because our daughters deserve choices. Because reproductive rights are human rights. And a woman has the right to determine what she does with her own body, including her sexual and reproductive health. I'm pro-choice because women should have the right to choose a safe and legal abortion with privacy and dignity. Because a woman's right to choose what she does with her body is her choice and her choice alone. Because a woman's autonomy over her own body is not only a human right, it's her right. I'm pro-choice because a woman's right to choose is her choice and her choice alone. I'm pro-choice because it's a human right. I'm pro-choice because I believe that women's rights are human rights. Because women should have the right to choose what happens to their own pre-productive health. I'm pro-choice because I believe everyone has a right to safe and affordable health care. Because what happens to a woman's body should be her choice and her choice alone. Because choice is choice. It's about respect. Because women should make their own health care decisions and have control over their bodies. It's 2023. Je suis pro-choix parce que les décisions des femmes appartiennent aux femmes. Because access to safe and legal abortion is a fundamental right. I'm pro-choice because I believe that this issue should not be in the political arena. I'm pro-choice because we won't go back. We will not go back. So, I, I mean, look, most of it is just repetitive. I, I like the I'm pro-choice because choice is choice. Choice, choicey, choicey, choice face. Um, and then you've got other people on there that are saying various iterations of the same thing, women's health and human rights. And I like the MP standing in Parliament Hill saying, this shouldn't be a political issue. It's like, okay, well, great, then shut up. But here's the fascinating thing about this. All of the people talking about uh, the rights for those of us who get pregnant. You, I mean, they're, the fact that they were even saying she and her, I think, is a bit transphobic, don't you think? But uh, let's just set that aside for a moment. They're all talking about the right to do what one wants with one's own body. These were the same people that imposed one of the most draconian vaccine mandates 
on Canadian individuals. The vaccine mandate to keep your job in the public service, the vaccine mandate to get on an airplane, to get on a train, to get out of a two-week quarantine, to get out of a quarantine hotel. Uh, so all of these people saying, I will, I will never ever uh, fold uh, when it comes to people having the right to make their own choices about their own bodies. I'm like, have you forgotten like the last two years, you pathetic hypocrites? Apparently they have, or they just don't care. But let's talk about the existence of the video itself. Now, I'm pro-life. I make no bones about it. But let's be honest here. In Canada, the pro-choice movement has won. We have the most liberal abortion laws in the world in that abortion is legal right up until uh, one second before a child is born. You cannot get more pro-abortion than Canada's abortion laws. That is a complete fact. And the fact that even conservative leaders who are pro-life and have been for their entire lives pro-life are unable to say, hey, I'm pro-life, without being pilloried by the media, suggests that we have in the cultural realm also done a tremendous disservice. And the pro-choice movement has won there largely. It's a little bit trickier, as I'll talk about in a moment. But but Canada is as pro-abortion a country as it gets right now, politically and to some extent culturally. And that is important because why do you need to talk about an issue that you've already won? Why do the... I mean, I mean imagine if uh, right now the Brits and Canadians and Americans were talking about the importance of vanquishing Nazi Germany. It's like you, you won that battle. Why are you still fighting it? The reason they're fighting it is because they know that it is a wedge for conservatives. They know that conservatives, even those who are pro-life, kind of fail and flail and flounder when they're forced to talk about this. And people like Andrew Scheer, who for years of his life could always communicate coherently his position on abortion as a pro-life man, when he's the leader of the conservatives, he's like, uh, well, I, uh, you know, I, the pro-women, pro, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I, per, uh, uh, and he starts to sound like Justin Trudeau describing a bottle of water. Um, and I think that the interesting thing about all of this is that the liberals will not shut up about abortion, but then they turn it around and say, the conservatives are obsessed with abortion. I'm like, really? The conservatives are too terrified to bring it up. The liberals are the ones who bring up abortion all the time. And you look into this week and the liberals are doing something that I hope they get called on by the media. And to some extent they are. Uh, one of the dimensions of this is that Kathy Wagenthal, who is from Saskatchewan and is a pro-life, proudly pro-life conservative MP, has introduced a private member's bill that no sensible person should have issues with. Now, I realize we're not talking about sensible people. We're talking about members of parliament, but no sensible person should be against what she wants to do here. Her bill, C-311, and we should get Kathy on the show to talk about this, would encourage judges to consider physical or emotional harm to a pregnant woman who's a victim of a crime as an aggravating factor during sentencing. It has nothing to do even with recognizing the human rights of an unborn child. It says that if a woman is pregnant and someone intentionally inflicts emotional or physical harm... That should be considered during sentencing. Someone who's abusing a pregnant woman uh, should be perhaps treated more harshly by the justice system. This is not at all controversial. Uh, Pierre Polyev, I asked him on Wednesday what he was going to do about this. I asked his office. I didn't, you know, just text up Pierre and say, yo, Pierre, what do you think of C-311? I, I, I went through the proper channels and no one responded. His office 
did not respond. I followed up about an hour before I went on air and no one responded. Now, apparently he's told the Canadian press that he is going to vote in favor of this bill. So Pierre Polyev supports that. And now the pro-choice liberal MPs, which is basically all of them because the couple of lingering pro-life MPs have just learned to shut their mouths about it in the liberal caucus. But uh, Pierre Polyev is now being criticized for supporting this bill because the liberals and Karina Gould are saying this is just like a backdoor way into legislating abortion. So even when a pro-life person comes out and offers the most, most benign, neutral, safe bill that protects mothers, that, that's what this bill is. It's about protecting mothers, basically. The liberals are so convinced that they have a cultural and political monopoly on the abortion issue, that they can say, no, we want nothing to do with it. And, and this really reinforces my longstanding position on this, that the issue is not that the liberals dislike the pro-life position. Liberals dislike pro-life people. They dislike the people who are pro-life, the people who dare. So Kathy Wagenthal, uh, they've already decided she is a bad person because she believes that the lives of unborn children are worth protecting. So even if she's proposing a bill that has nothing to do with that, uh, they're going to be against it. And the media generally is giving them a pass on this. The liberals are not accused of uh, partaking in wedge politics on the abortion issue. Chris Selly, I don't know what his position on abortion is, but he in the National Post had put a column forward basically calling out this BS, which is, pardon my, I guess I don't really need to apologize for not using the bad words, but uh, he, he basically called this out for, for what it is. But I'm not seeing all of the liberal commentariat, the people in the Toronto Star on the CBC Power and Politics panel coming out and doing the same. So just remember, whenever the liberals say, oh my goodness, these conservative, pro-life conservatives, they never shut up. Uh, they are the ones who are never shutting up about abortion. Now, uh, the caveat here when you talk about the culture is that I, I think, generally speaking, the Canadian culture is not as pro-choice as you're led to believe. There are a lot of people of faith in this country, be they Christians, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, pretty much every mainstream and even most alternative religions in this country and in the world uh, support the pro-life position, at least to some extent. I mean, maybe they wouldn't go so far as to say abortion should always be banned, but you'd find if you polled the entirety of the country, uh, as has been done many times, that when people know what the current laws are in Canada, that abortion is legal right up until the second a child is delivered, they do not support that. So e even people who would consider themselves pro-choice support what are called gestational restrictions, the these gradations in policy. But you can't have a nuanced discussion when the liberals control discourse in the way that they do. And the liberals just have this absolute stranglehold on debate and discussion. Uh, and just because it's related to this topic, we're going to change the schedule a little bit and do our Fake News Friday a little earlier. Roll that clip. Yeah, this is... I, it's news per se, but a Liberal MP, Adam Van, uh, he's, I forget, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. I have all the Dutch 
people are going to be mad if I butcher it. It's like Adam Van Cover for Ververden or something. But uh, he tweets out, like all the liberals are, Canada needs to do more to protect reproductive rights, not less. Conservative MPs regularly introduce legislation that would limit access to abortion, undermining women's right to choose. Spoiler alert, Pierre Polyev says he supports this bill. Well, this is a rare example of the fact checkers getting it right. And Twitter has gotten a little better on this. Uh, the reader added context below Adam's tweet says this bill was about amending the criminal code to protect pregnant women from violence and ensure that pregnancy is a mitigating factor considered at sentencing. It has nothing to do with abortion. So congratulations, MP Adam, you win the fake news Friday award for May 12th, 2023. Uh, so the problem when you start off with like the big controversial issue is that it's very weird to like segue into a wonkier subject. So uh, usually in broadcasting, you try to like find a creative way to be like, speaking of X and then you get to Z and hope that Y is kind of a little bit easier to sell. I haven't figured out a way to connect abortion to hydro rates yet. I was uh, kind of working on it, but I might need to do the hard segue and just go right to our next topic here. Uh, because just as the liberals don't want you to have a right to make your own decisions about uh, your body in some context, they also don't want... Oh, here we go. I've got the segue. They don't want you to be able to decide how you navigate climate and environmental policy. They have a one-size-fits-all solution. And this is driving up the cost of pretty well everything. The Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada is warning that we could be looking at a 30 to 50% increase in hydro bills, all because of the government's goal and the Canada Electricity Advisory Council's goal of getting to so-called net zero by 2035. Catherine Swift from the CCMBC joins me now. Uh, Catherine, always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. My pleasure, Andrew. Nice to see you. Virtually, of course. So let, let's start first off by talking about exactly what it is that we're looking at here. Because we, we know that whenever we hear net zero uh, from the government, it sounds lofty and ambitious, but it always comes with a price tag here. So where are you seeing as being the bigger driver in electricity prices going up? Well, there's a few drivers and they're all, all significant. Um, obviously, things like the carbon tax are going to increase uh, uh, triple, roughly, tr you know, triple from what they originally said they were going to be. And they said they'd never go higher than $50 a ton. They're going to go to $170. Um, we're going to see another tax this year. Uh, we haven't seen the nuts and bolts of it yet, but it's supposedly called the the clean energy standard. We'll see what that looks like whenever it hits. Uh, but this this uh, net zero, um, a, a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, cost to so-called achieve it, it will not be achieved. I will put money on the table right now that we will never see net zero in our electricity system. 
uh, by 2035. By the way, we're already 83% there. We got a clean electricity system relative to the rest of the world. We should be looking at other issues, not this, but this is gonna be hugely expensive. It's gonna translate into much higher electricity bills, which of course everybody uses, you know, you can't avoid using electricity. And it's also gonna hit the taxpayer because billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions, uh, will be spent to subsidize uh, hydro utilities, uh, a lot of these consultants that, that live off the public dime because they're advising government and some of them are on this new council that just got it announced last week, by the way. Um, and there's, there's just all manner in which Canadians will pay big. And let's not forget, remember the um, uh, Green Energy Plan in Ontario back in 2009, it was introduced. It was supposed to, according to the Liberal government of the day, amount to about the price of a cup of coffee a day. <laughs> yeah, it doubled hydro rates in Ontario to the point that it has made so much business uncompetitive. A lot of them have just left the province. Certainly the manufacturing sector is a notable example. And of course, created the whole concept of energy poverty, which is basically mm -hmm. when you're paying more than a certain amount of your household income just for energy, just keep the lights on, keep the place warm, whatever, then that is defined as energy poverty. So uh, when I say 30 to 50 percent, that's that's a guesstimate. I suspect it'll be higher, but but we want to be reasonable here and say 30 to 50 percent is a potential increase. Yeah, well, I mean, when you talk about the existing cleanness, for lack of a better term, of the energy, the electricity system, I, I actually think this is an important point because a lot of the pretty radical policies we've withstood to date, we were told would be the solutions to the problem, not just a stepping stone to bigger so-called solutions. Like you look at the phase out of coal, the uh, investment in windmills. I mean, in Ontario, you drive through southwestern Ontario and there are windmills as far as the eye can see, and they don't appear to have done anything to uh, reduce the overall reliance on uh, some of these things that we're now told are terrible. Hydroelectric, it's hard to get cleaner than that. Nuclear is uh, one that does actually fit what the environmentalists want, but they don't nearly seem as interested in nuclear as they should be. But all of this stuff ha has basically gotten us uh, in, in the words that they're using now kind of nowhere. And, and they're saying, oh, yeah, we still have so far to go. Well, I think the environmental community doesn't like um, nukes because they can't make money off them <laughs> like they can. Look at how, I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding, I know. It's no, I, I, you right? aren't. Uh, but but <laughs> I'm serious. Look at how many windmill farms and, uh, you know, uh, solar, uh, solar panel. And, and mind you, a lot of them have gotten bankrupt because, of course, it's a, it's a failure of a solution. But uh, look at how many of those are owned by, uh, you know, environmental zealots. Uh, they, they, they love to advise. There's so many consultants. This is something a lot of Canadians don't know about. I, I see new green organizations popping up every day. We, the taxpayer, are paying for all these guys and girls uh, to have a nice fat salary running these environmental this and environmental that group. And they're all taxpayer funded. Uh, and, and I would love to see some kind of cost benefit analysis because I don't think they're doing a darn thing. And once again, this new council has several of those types uh, on, on their advisory body, sucking up more taxpayer dollars. You can bet they're all being paid uh, for, their, for their time, et cetera. So, you know, this, this is hitting the, the average Canadian every which way. We all want to do the right thing for the climate. But what really makes me crazy is it never gets measured. And have we met a goal yet? When we look at the emissions targets that the, the uh, Trudeau Liberals have set out, we have not met one yet. Not one. 
Uh, and there has been the, the best we could do was during the pandemic when the economy was virtually completely shut down. Is that what we'd like to do? Is that might accomplish the goal? Mind you, we'll all be, you know, we'll all be scrounging for uh, scraps in the in the garbage cans or whatever. But uh, but that's the kind of thing uh, that that really, you know, will only reduce our emissions. Better to have sensible, measurable policies, see what actually works. And a lot of countries are doing this kind of thing. Uh, rather than these virtue signaling type of policies that don't accomplish much, but they beggar the average person in the process. Well, you know, your group represents manufacturers and, and a manufacturer manufactures something that sh shouldn't be a radical concept. You know, they they build something, they put in the raw materials, they, they take <coughs> out this other piece. Sometimes that piece is sold. Other times it uh, becomes a part of something larger. The thing with a lot of these green energy companies is they're producing absolutely nothing. They're producing ideas, getting billions of dollars in subsidies. And at the end of the process, as you've indicated, Catherine, the only people who have benefited from it are the people who run the company. It hasn't actually uh, made electricity cheaper or more available. It hasn't actually reduced the overall share of, of whatever the problem is. And, and that's the thing. I mean, if we're going to be subsidizing anything, which I don't think we should, let's subsidize companies that are actually producing things apart from uh, just virtue signaling promises. Yeah, what they're really doing is actually <clears throat> acting as proxies for the government. Mm -hmm. the go it permits the government to sort of have this network of voices out there supporting the kind of policies they do. So people, you know, your average person who doesn't follow this like geeks like us do, uh, can can uh, say, oh, there's a there's a real you know there's a real lot of support for these kind of policies here. So I guess they're a good idea. So let's talk a little bit about the. <laughs> Kind of the, the the council itself, because this is a body that I don't think most people have heard of here, and I've already forgotten the name of it. But you know, the Canadian Electricity Council. You you've raised some concerns about who's on it. Yeah. Well, everybody that's on it is either a utility. I mean, that makes sense, though. You do want the people that are producing the power, you know, to have some input into the process. A lot of the uh, regulators, because, of course, there's big regulation in this industry. Um, uh, but then we see a number of Indigenous, which, of course, is a political. You have to do that with any political body these days. Well, just, just, on, just to interject on that, Catherine, the, the problem is that when the government brings Indigenous voices into these projects, which I think it absolutely should, it never picks the ones that are leading the charge for resource development and the indigenous people that are saying absolutely we need more of this they're always the naysayers i find that's that's correct and and of course we we know of many 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 indigenous leaders uh, in fact the vast majority are in favor of these projects mm -hmm. because they see economic you know value for their communities and and if you want to do something like fix water problems on a reserve for example best thing to do is give these people good jobs give these communities resources from our very many rich resource uh, industries and and the majority want to but you're right the, the 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 ones that fight it usually being funded by american uh environmental groups by the way um uh, are the ones that they put on these particular councils. But anyway, the, the other representation is a number of the enviro, enviro zealots, you know, the people that are out there making their living and making a very good living, by the way, on our tax dollars, subsidizing them to be voices out there pushing these extreme radical uh, solutions. What kills me, because one of the big impacts here, should it come to pass, which again, there's a lot of, you know, if we get a change of government, a lot of this is thankfully going to be re reformed quite substantially, I would hope. I hope some sanity will prevail. Uh, but um, we don't have any consumers on there. 
the people that are going to be paying for this are consumers, taxpayers, and businesses, naturally, businesses as taxpayers, and, and also uh, having to hobble their businesses, because we've seen some of these emissions caps that are being discussed, uh, such as the agricultural industry is a great example. Are we really going to cut our food production? Is, is this a sane thing to do? No, it's not. Um, so anyway, we don't have any of these groups represented. Absolutely none. So that to me is a glaring omission uh, that should be corrected, but it won't be because again, the government doesn't want to hear from the, the you know these people that would present some facts that make this look as outrageous as it actually is. Catherine Swift from the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada. Always a pleasure, Catherine. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Andrew. Well, and just to build off of one of the things Catherine mentioned at the end there, one of the, the challenges that always comes up with this is that the consumer can do pretty much nothing about it. And, and you know, I look at energy prices in Ontario, for example, which were for the for a time one of the largest, uh, one of the most expensive jurisdictions in the world for energy, certainly the domestic or the uh, developed world. And the thing about it was that you could, as an Ontario resident, be like, okay, I'm going to turn, I mean, I've got like five studio lights around me. So I'm like, my carbon footprint is, uh, you know, that of a small African village. But uh, the thing about uh, the carbon footprint is that you could say, okay, I'm going to turn off the lights, I'm going to do my laundry and off peak hours on weekends, I'm going to wash my dishes by hand and not like you could do all of this and you'd save like $3 on your hydro bill. Because when you look at it, you'd be like, okay, you know, usage, you know, whatever kilowatts per hour delivery charge, $100. It's like, well, what did they deliver? I didn't use anything. But it was these fixed costs or the carbon tax, these fixed costs that were on it, that meant it was pretty much inescapable for the average consumer. And I think that's true of a lot of these increases we're seeing now. It, it's not going to come down. You can't do anything to get away from them or to avoid it. You're just kind of screwed. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. I uh, want to shift gears here yet again. The problem with Friday is that like all the stuff we don't get to earlier in the week, we all have to like put into one seamless narrative. So we're uh, abandoning the narrative and abandoning the seamlessness. And hopefully it's just interesting enough uh, to, <laughs> to keep your attention. Uh, but last but certainly not least, Colin Craig is with secondstreet.org, which has commissioned a rather interesting study, a, a poll through Leger that looks at, I think, something that, if we go back to the earlier discussion we had about uh, about abortion in Canada, there's a, a gap between what ordinary people think and what the media would tell them to think. What they what the media would sort of claim is the consensus on a particular issue, and one in particular jumps out, and that is about uh, if schools should inform parents when a child shows up and says, you know, I'm actually a woman or I'm non-binary or I'm pangender or the one that I learned many years ago, masculine of center, genderqueer. Uh, so a student goes to a teacher and says, I'm this and this, and these are my pronouns. Should parents be notified? 57% in this poll said yes, but that would be a position that, you know, when it's been mentioned by politicians uh, in other jurisdictions is like this hateful, bigoted, transphobic position where it's no, I think parents in general, should know what's happening between their child and their child's educators. Uh, Colin Craig is with me now after that lengthy wind-up there. Colin, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Having me, Andrew. 
Uh, so, so let's start with the why you've done this question. I mean, Second Street, I, I know we, we've had you on, has done a lot on energy policy, on healthcare. Uh, this was when I saw this, I'm like, oh, really? They went there. <laughs> yeah, well, we put our fingers in all the pies. You know, we, we, we spend, you're right, we spend a lot of time on healthcare and uh, natural resource issues, but we do some uh, work on uh, education, taxation, lots of different uh, other policies. And we actually did a poll about two and a half years ago and one of the questions we asked was, uh, do Canadians think that the public school system has gone in the right direction or wrong direction over the last 20 years? And at the time, uh, about 32% said uh, wrong direction. And we thought, well, that's actually pretty high. That's a pretty significant number of Canadians who don't think the system's going in the right direction. But this time it was uh, 51%. So it's a very, very big jump. And the reason what got us going with this poll is we thought, well, let's ask that question again. And then we sort of, sort of were looking at some of the other issues in education. And this was one where, you know, like yourself, and I'm sure lots of uh, your viewers, um, I had seen these different stories coming up about parents being kept in the dark about, you know, what their children are talking with their teachers about when it comes to pronouns and transitioning, having very serious discussions. And I thought, you know, I wonder if there's any public opinion research on this for Canada, and I hadn't seen any. There were some numbers from the States. We thought, well, let's ask the question and, and see what uh, Canadians think. Well, and, and the other one that was interesting, not as decisive as reporting back on, you know, gender uh, identification is this one, uh, 45, 47% of parents agree or of respondents agree that schools should have to make materials for topics on gender and race related topics ahead, available ahead of time for parents to view. Now, that one I, I find interesting because I think largely a lot of curricular uh, materials are available ahead of time, but I, I don't think most parents have the initiative to, to go in and seek those out. Some do but i was curious kind of what your insights were on that i mean is there this realm of materials that parents cannot access and do not know are being taught unless their child tells them uh short answers i'm not sure exactly you know in the u.s there have been some challenges where uh parents have tried to get access to materials that are being taught in schools and they've had trouble i'm not sure exactly where that's at with where that's at in canada but I think it's an easy solution that can sometimes help in cases where parents are concerned about what's being taught. For very sensitive topics, uh, we have um, technologies makes all this stuff so easy now that schools could put this information out ahead of time. So a parent could go in and see, okay, what's my child going to learn about, say, gender-related issues or race-related topics? And just kind of understand, well, do I want my child learning that? Yes or no. And if, they're, if they have a deep concern, they could say, well, look, you know, I'd like my child to sit in the library during that lesson or whatever. The other option, of course, and, and this was, uh, you know, someone else raised this with me, and I think it's a good idea. It also allows parents to know, okay, my child's going to learn this in school today. I want to present a different perspective to them when they get home so that they can learn a little bit more and, you know, see different viewpoints, have maybe a bit more of a balanced uh uh, learning exercise when it comes to this topic. So we thought, you know, this would be interesting just to see what Canadians think. And like you say, uh, certainly more Canadians uh, think that's a good idea than people that say not to. I, I want to drill down to that one question I led in with about the 57% say, yes, the, pub, the, the teacher should have to tell or the school should have to tell parents if a child wants to 
uh, change their gender, use different pronouns. Mm-hmm. The regional breakdown I found quite surprising here, uh, because I think if you were to say this, everyone would be like, oh, yeah. If I were to ask which province said this yes the most, people would say like, oh, yeah, you know, clearly Alberta. Mm-hmm. And Alberta was actually kind of, it was below the the, the below the, the mean there. Um, you know, BC, unsurprisingly, was the mm-hmm. lowest, even then at 49%. Alberta, 54% said yes. Uh, the, the real uh, outliers here on the high end were Atlantic Canada and Quebec. Now, mm-hmm. um, Atlantic Canada is a smaller sample, 100 people. So there could be in that a, a bit of a, um, you know, perhaps a, a, a sampling issue. But but yeah. Quebec, 61%. So regionally, I found that just quite interesting. Yeah, I, it, it, those numbers certainly are interesting that, uh, you know, it is higher in those provinces. Like you say, the samples are smaller, so it could be just you know, partially due to having a smaller sample size. But, but it's not just the more conservative the province, no, the, no, the larger no, the no. number. Ontario was higher than Saskatchewan and Alberta. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not we're not an advocacy organization. We're not taking a position in terms of what governments should and shouldn't do on this. I mean, my own personal opinion is that, uh, yeah, I think parents should have the right to know. I mean, this is a pretty serious thing for a child to be assuming basically a different identity at school if they're changing their pronouns but also uh, even chatting with the school system about, you know, how do I go about changing my my gender and trying to have surgery and all this stuff? You know, my colleague makes a good point. He says, schools can't give students a Tylenol without checking with parents first. We're going to let them engage in this pretty serious psychological intervention. Um, you know, I, I totally understand why parents would want to know. And what I think is interesting is the breakdown between parents that say yes and parents that say no, uh, or, or rather Canadians that say yes versus no is 57 to 18. And then there's a large number of Canadians who are undecided, I think, maybe because they haven't been confronted with this issue, maybe mm-hmm. want to know a little bit more, uh, whatever the case is. But it's also interesting, too, that when you shift this discussion from uh, Canadians at large to Canadians with kids, the number increases, goes up to a well over 60%, I think 65 And not just kids, but kids in the household. So not kids just like, house. you know, boomers with adult kids, but yeah, parents yeah, with kids yeah. at home. Yeah, yeah. Th- th- thanks for uh, clarifying <laughs> that. Yeah, it's it's uh, people with young kids, they want to know. And uh, like I said, I can't blame them. Uh, and I, I think uh, it, it makes sense because this would be a very difficult thing for a child to be going through if they're suddenly confused about who they are and and that uh, you'd, you'd want to, as a parent, you'd want to be helping them, right? You'd want to be there to guide them. And maybe yeah. regardless of what side of the debate you're on with this, uh, I think any parent would want to be there to to support their child if they're going through something that's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm in my, my 30s. I, I'm one of the, the dirty millennials that I complain so often about. And, and one of the challenges I, I find is that I think that I was kind of part of this transitional period where, where parents were engaged in the education system and you know wanted to do the parent teacher checkups and read the report cards and learn but but for the most part sort of just trusted that the system was working just sort of dropped you mm-hmm. off at school in the morning and and that's that and and i think that parents would be doing a tremendous disservice to themselves and their kids to do that and all the parents i know and granted i mean there's a bit of a selection bias in terms of who i i talk to more often mm-hmm. but but they just don't trust it and, and the number of people yeah. i i've heard from that have just self-selected out of the public system who are not the traditional private school or homeschool demographic but it's largely because of stuff like this yeah there's it feels like there's been a lot of controversial news stories in the past while involving public schools i mean you're based in ontario the oakville teacher with the yep. 
extremely large fake prosthetic breasts. I'm sure most of your your viewers have seen them. If not, if you Google it, you'll see that these these fake breasts were about the size of a, a Gatorade cooler that you know an NFL team might throw on its coach after winning the Super Bowl. Like absurdly large. What what football <laughs> games are you watching? Well, you know, right? You yeah. follow the champions. You see these these giant coolers being thrown. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how large these fake breasts are, and, and many people found them demeaning to women. So you see that kind of thing, and then you see a school system that was just frozen, unable to deal with this. Something that I think many people would consider to be extremely inappropriate. On uh, the other side of Canada, in British Columbia, small town uh, Castlegar, BC, uh, an elementary school teacher had a, a drag queen read to children uh, in the classroom through Zoom. And so many parents were outraged about this. And so regardless of where you stand on these issues, I mean, these are pretty controversial things. And I think more than anything, um, what we're seeing is a, a need for more choice. And Alberta has a good solution with charter schools here. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, they're, they're mm -hmm. basically uh, schools run by nonprofits that are funded by the government. And they tend to specialize in different things one might specialize in science and math another one might specialize in a particular like cultural study or language whatever parents have more choice that they can choose schools outside of the public school system without facing a huge bill because like i say the, the government will fund these uh these schools so it does give parents more choice and i think in the rest of the country we would be wise to be looking at that because clearly there's a pretty high uh, dissatisfaction rate with the direction the public school system's going in. Yeah, very well said. People can read the results for themselves over at secondstreet.org. And if you are a parent, at the very least, pay attention to what's happening in your kid's school so you don't get blindsided whenever uh, these stories come up or an Oakville teacher is uh, waving the stories in your face, so to speak. Uh, Colin Craig, always good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks a lot, Andrew. All right, that does it for us for this weekend. We'll be back Tuesday with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show after leaving you with that wonderful visual uh, from the, the uh, Dominion in Oakville. But uh, thank you very much. We will talk to you soon. Have a good one. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.